Hi everyone, welcome to Storytime, where we talk about all things real estate. I'm your host, Saad Munir. Today, I have my good friend and close partner, Hunter Evers of CMG Home Loans, joining me. He's a loan officer based in Greater Boston and someone many of my clients have loved working with over the years. Now, before we delve into our topic for this week, Hunter, welcome to Storytime. Thanks, Saad. I appreciate you having me. I've uh, been looking forward to this since I heard of the rollout of Storytime. It's, it's long overdue in my mind, even though it's only been like a month or so. Um, very, very grateful to be here and, and, and happy to have the opportunity to chat more about what's going on in the market and, uh, you know, educate your clients and anyone else who's out there listening. I appreciate you having, I appreciate you be jumping on with us. Now, for the folks tuning in, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how and when you got into real estate and ultimately what brings you on the podcast today? Absolutely. So, um, so my name's Hunter Evers. I work for CMG Home Loans, as you mentioned. Um, I've been in the mortgage industry for about 11 years now. It'll be, it's actually 11 years next week. So I'm coming up on that anniversary. Uh, I got into the mortgage business just kind of by chance. I, I don't think anyone really grows up planning to be a mortgage broker or mortgage lender, but I had, uh, I had some really good friends who linked me up with a, a couple well-known professionals in the, in the industry who helped me learn the business and make the right connections that I needed to make to, to get to the point that I'm at today. Awesome. Uh, well, we're going to talk about a timely topic, especially given the current market in greater Boston, how to get creative with financing. And Hunter is one of the best people to help us to uh, discuss all of that with you today. Now, things are crazy in the market, just to kind of set the stage. Just in the last couple of weeks, and I've already talked to Hunter about this, uh, I've submitted 11 offers for clients, something like that, uh, and had four different clients face 24, 22, 20 and 16 offer situation, two single families and two townhomes. Uh, if you know anything about how the market's been the last year since interest rates went up, I mean, that's, there's been a drastic shift just in the last month, month and a half. Uh, things are super competitive. And if you're a buyer, you have to find a way to stand out as best you can. And that includes in your finance. But Regardless of the state of the market, at the end of the day, the purchase or sale, if you're a seller, needs to come down to the number. I've stated this before publicly, but you need to know your numbers and whether or not they work for you. At the end of the day, your numbers matter, not your uncle Bob or your best friend down the street or what have you. Especially in a competitive market, if you're a buyer, finding ways to stand out uh, can mean the difference between you getting a home or not. Now let's talk about some of the latest news. Uh, Hunter, uh, before I kind of go through a few of my notes, what are some of the things that you're seeing in the market today when it comes to things that folks are doing to set themselves apart? So what, what are the key um, resources or programs that we use internally that I know you're pretty familiar with, Saad, um, is the upfront underwriting process where you know, when, when people go get their pre-approval done or that, that first initial look of their finances, their credit, their income, their assets, most banks will just issue that pre-approval letter. And that's exactly what it is, right? It, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's a pre-approval. They're not actually fully approved by an underwriter yet. It basically is just a piece of paper that tells the seller that the bank is willing to lend to that potential buyer based on what we've reviewed up front. Um, when we when we talk about the upfront underwriting, it goes a little bit deeper than that. 
I, I like to use the analogy of we're, we're moving someone from the batter's box to third base, if you follow baseball at all, right? So what we're doing is at the time of pre-approval, which we can do very quickly, as you know, you know we, we get a pre-approval done in a matter of a couple hours for, for some clients who are in a rush. But we, we can get that pre-approval done. They'll have that in the back pocket. They can go make an offer the next day if they so choose. But in the meantime, what we're doing is we're moving everybody into underwriting as well. And we're having our underwriting team actually review their pay stubs, their tax returns, their bank statements, et cetera, et cetera. And then stamping the loan file with an actual approval rather than just that pre-approval, which is a pre-review done by the loan officer up front. I like to think I'm you know, pretty good at, at, at catching things and, and knowing what I'm doing, but having the underwriters review it and actually give an official approval is a whole nother level in terms of uh, how flexible and how quickly you can close um, if, if you're a client out there looking at prospective homes. So on that note, uh, you know, this upfront underwriting, it can result in fast closings, which is something that a lot of folks, you know, a lot of sellers like to see. Um, it's, it also it basically, I mean, it's not a cash offer, but it, it gives clients the ability to waive their mortgage contingency, uh, or at least gives them the comfort to waive the mortgage contingency. Uh, and, and even if you don't have upfront underwriting, we're seeing some folks waive their mortgage contingency just to kind of stay competitive. Well, we can certainly talk about a little bit later as well. A couple other things that we're seeing too in the market is, um, is like, when we say cash offers, there's companies that can essentially represent you as a cash buyer as well. Um, that they're becoming less and less common because of things like upfront underwriting and because of people just being willing to waive their mortgage contingencies. Um, and also at the end of the day, people want the money, right? If somebody's $100,000 over somebody else who's a cash buyer, right? The $100,000 over is going to win every, you know, basically 100% of the time. All things, everything else being equal. The other thing that we're, we've been seeing quite a bit over the last six months is what's called uh, uh, rate buy downs. Right? So you have the ability to get either a seller to help pay your rate down, or you have the ability to, um, you know, do that yourself as well by paying points. So, um, so we'll talk a little bit about each of those a little bit later. But we're going to take a quick short break. When we come back. We'll talk through a few different scenarios with Hunter and get his thoughts on how to stand out. Welcome back to Storytime. I'm Saad Munir. On today's episode, we have loan officer Hunter Evers with me, and we are talking about getting creative with financing. Now, Hunter, let's jump right into it. There are obviously all types of programs, banks, private lenders, there's hard money, etc. But let's focus on the most common scenarios you see. Baseline here is that in each of these scenarios I'm going to run by you, the buyer is someone who actually wants to buy a property. They're motivated. They're trying to find a way to buy something short, let's say in the next three to six months. Um, so I'll rattle off a quick scenario and you tell me what are the options generally. Um, of course, you don't know the specifics, but generally, how can they get creative if it's even possible? Does that sound good? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. All right. Cool. So. Someone maybe who doesn't have a ton of assets, but uh, has good income and solid credit score. Uh, what are their options? So good income, solid credit, uh, uh, you know, what comes to assets. That, and this is something we see a lot of, honestly, um, the, the, the greater Boston area, Massachusetts, New England in general. It's a pretty high barrier to entry, just given what 5%, 10%, 20% can be on the home values around here or home prices. 
So what we see fairly commonly, we, we do see a lot of gifts from family members, uh, you know, uh, as far as mom and dad helping out, helping people get their foot in the door. Some of the other options that we have locally are the down payment assistance programs. One in particular is, is very popular. It's, it's the Mass Housing Down Payment Assistance Program, which is basically statewide in Massachusetts, where I know we do the majority of our business. Um, there are some other down payment assistance programs that are more like city centric to Boston or more focused on specific towns themselves and, and what they do in their communities. But Mass Housing, they offer a $15,000 down payment loan to help you get your foot in the door. And they kind of cast that net over the entire state. So th that's one of the first options we look at. If someone's like, you know what? I know I can afford this payment. I know that my credit's in good shape. I just need that, that extra boost with the down payment to get to 3% down, 5% down, these minimum thresholds that we're looking at. Uh, mass housing is, is always a good option when it comes to down payment assistance. And then um, the third option, which is unique to CMG, the company that I work at, is our home funded program. And I, I know that Saad and I had discussed this a little bit previously, but we, we have a program where we actually allow clients to crowdsource their down payment funds, um, where it's not just a gift from mom or dad. It's, it's something where if you have a upcoming graduation or a wedding or any other celebratory moment like that, we can set up similar to a GoFundMe. It, it's called Home Funded, and it's, it's a crowdsourcing website where people can make donations to you purchasing your first home, and all of the money gets used towards down payment. So instead of you know your wedding registry, your baby shower registry, anything like that, you can actually direct people to the Home Funded page that'll have all of your information and your story on it as far as you know your journey to home ownership. Awesome. Things like upfront underwriting and like quick closing, are those possible for folks that don't have a ton of assets like in this scenario? So we can do the upfront underwriting with the mass housing program. As long as their assets, their debt to income ratio and their, and their credit scores meet the mortgage guideline parameters for the program, then we can actually do the upfront underwriting, assuming that they'll get the $15,000 down payment assistance. Got it. And is it relatively easy to get that that assistance? It is. It is. Um, a, a lot of people they're a little concerned up front because they don't have the cash in their hand, right? You're putting a lot of a lot of trust into the lending institution. Right. But you know, we have experienced professionals over here. We've we've done hundreds of these over the years, and with the review that we do up front, um, we we make sure that they fit into that box and that they will be getting that fifteen thousand dollars. Awesome. All right. Well, let's jump to the next scenario. Someone or a couple or partners that have the assets, they have the credit scores, but maybe not the income. Obviously, to have enough assets, it's possible that uh, the income may not matter. But if the assets are not enough, what are their options? So as far as just the income's not there to get them over the hump, is that, is that what we're talking about? Yeah. So right. one, one pretty common scenario there is asking a family member to co-sign. That that's not really out of the not out of the ordinary in terms of uh, what we see over here on a day to day, whether it's uh, you know mom or dad or, or grandparents, brother, sister. I've seen plenty of clients have family members just kind of you know co-sign for them the same way they would on a on a student loan or a car loan or something like that. And the the beauty of that is that although it reports on that other family member's credit as a liability as debt for them. In most cases, when, you're, when your brother, sister, your parents, they're going to apply for new debt, as long as they can show that you're the one who's made that payment over the last 12 months, 
that other creditor would omit that from your family member's death profile, which is nice. So once you get through that first year, sometimes, you know, in, in most cases, I would say you can omit that debt for the family member. So it's not, it doesn't weigh as heavily as they might think it would. Got it. Um, and when it comes to uh, like residential, like tax exemptions and things like that, I know that was huge for me when my wife and I were buying our first place in Cambridge. Uh, it helped us ensure that we could buy the place that we wanted to. How big is that for folks in this scenario as well? Great question. So, so a, a lot of the uh, like the, the inner city and then the surrounding towns, basically communities that have uh, a, a lot of renters in them, they will offer what's called a residential tax exemption in those communities to try to incentivize homeowners to actually live in the communities and take care of them on you know another level than renters may. Um, and, and in those communities, you know, I know the city of Boston, they offer about $3,500 per year as a residential tax exemption, which can, which can lower your monthly property taxes slash your monthly mortgage payment all in because property taxes are considered there. It can lower them by, you know, anywhere from like $320 to $400 a month. So sometimes when people look at their debt to income ratio and think that the payment might be a little bit of a stretch, it may just be a little bit of a stretch for a little bit of time. You know what I mean? Until that residential right. exemption kicks in and your payment drops by that 300 plus dollars, then you have a little bit more breathing room. Got it. Awesome. Now let's go jump to the, uh, the next scenario here. Let's forget assets and income for a second. Um, someone who doesn't have a great credit score, uh, but again, like, you know, ignore assets, ignore income for now. What are their options? So... Basically, what we're looking at, you can qualify with as low as a 620 credit score, 620 FICO score to get your foot in the door and, and get a home. Um, you know, just to just to be transparent, the, the interest rate will not be pretty on a mortgage like that. Uh, it's, it's a very high risk right. client. The, the golden number that I usually use for people is about a 680 credit score. That, that's when you can get your foot in the door and really not be paying too much extra to do so. Um, where your your credit score isn't really that that much of a handicap to you getting in the door, um, but for people who who have credit issues, we do have credit repair specialists that we work directly with. So even if it's just an initial consultation that we have with someone and we pull credit and the credit comes back lower than they'd like or low to the point where it makes them very uncomfortable with their monthly payment or low to the point where it just completely disqualifies them. We're not just kind of closing the door on those people. What we're doing is we're introducing them to credit specialists and we're coming up with a whole game plan in terms of, okay, what does the right. timeline look like here? Do you think we can be up around a 650 to a 680 in six months, a year, a year and a half, right? We, we get that outline and then we try to work with the client to do everything that we possibly can to make sure that they, they expedite and kind of meet those dates as, as quickly as possible. So can that type of buyer like partner with someone or will that bring like the overall profile of the borrowers down just because of that that core borrower you know doesn't have the best credit score is that a possibility or is that not going to help great another great question so they can they can partner with someone right similar to the co-signing situation that i had just mentioned yeah, right but when we look at qualifying somebody for a mortgage we're looking at the lower of all of the credit scores on the loan file. That's what we use. It's the most conservative approach. And that, that's how lending is done across the board. So, um, so unfortunately, yes, we'd still have to use that, that buyer's it. credit score in that situation. Got it. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. 
For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. A couple other scenarios. Can investors avoid 25% down? Obviously, that's something you and I have, have talked about recently. Uh, uh, what's the deal there? I mean, it sounds like in general, 25% down is the requirement for investors. If it's meaning it's not a primary residence, it's purely an investment or a second home or what have you. Um, what are the options for somebody like that? And can they avoid that 25% down? So the 25% down is avoidable for an investment property. If it's a single unit, right? So a condominium unit or a single family home, you can actually put as low as 15% down for an investment property. But when you get into the multifamily, which is very popular with investors, right? They want to try to get as much bang as for their buck in some rent. So when you get into the multifamily aspect of things, you're looking at at least 25% down on an investment property. But you know the concept of house hacking is becoming ever so popular these days, um, right. especially with where prices are going and some of the returns people are seeing just in appreciation in general, never mind rents. Um, so, so when we're looking at house hacking, the general rule is that you have to live in the home that you purchase as your primary residence for 12 months. That's, that's the occupancy affidavit that you're going to sign at closing. So once you live there for 12 months, you're free to convert that to a rental property. Your interest rate isn't going to change. Your payment isn't going to change. You're, you're, you still have those original terms in place for the remainder of how, however long you took out that mortgage for. So it's really that 12 month right. rule. And when, you, when you're looking at the front end of that, if, if you're buy, looking to buy a multifamily as your primary residence, as your first home, knowing that down the road you may rent it out or convert it to a rental, you actually can get it, get in at, for as little as 3.5% down. Yeah, so, I mean, for our listeners, uh, I wish I knew about house hacking 10 years ago. Nobody ever told me. No one talked that about was an it. option. <laughs> Nobody talked about it. Uh, so if you are, a, especially if you're a first-time, like, you know, or an aspiring first-time home buyer, um, or even if you're not, but you want to take advantage of the fact that it could be a residents you get the lower rate potentially lower down all that kind of stuff i would highly encourage it if you want to know learn more about house hacking reach out to me and there's plenty of literature online as well uh, but but yeah i mean definitely important for investors or aspiring investors to know about that as a potential uh, especially for multifamily um now uh how else and investors get creative hunter i mean obviously you know a lot of investors ask me about off-market property Right. And off market properties are are challenging uh, just to be pretty straight, straightforward, especially in greater Boston, because many of those need a lot of work. They require hard money or cash or cash buyers. Right. Uh, and, and, and frankly, if if it's if it is a property that uh, that the market's going to like, why would somebody not put it on the market? Right. So so there's something to be to be kind of wary of when it comes to off market properties. But curious to know, you know, from your perspective, too, how else can investors can explore other options? 
Yeah. So, you know, other than off market properties, which are hard to come by, like you said, the, the market's so demanding right now that it's it's almost crazy for an owner not to hit the market with it just because of the demand right. and, and how little, how low inventory there is. Um, but as far as getting creative as an investor, you know, understanding zoning laws, building relationships with people in these communities that that you're interested in. Maybe you own an investment property over over on the other side of the city. Spend some time over there. You know what I mean? Go mow your own lawn over there or, or you know, spend some time on the scene. Try to meet some of these neighbors if you're if you're actually trying to uh, acquire property in that area. That That's really what I see. When I see a lot of people get great deals, it, some of it comes down to just knowing people, knowing the right people in the right places type of thing. Um, under, right. Understanding zoning laws, right? Like if, if you if you can find a beat up single family that's been sitting on the market for a, a, a few months that no one's looking at, but you understand that you may actually be able to convert that to a multifamily or or, or, or build it out and add bedrooms that, that will increase rental income. Understanding that can actually put you in a position of power as well compared to a lot of the people who are brand new to the market. Um, but again, that all comes down to some of these, the house hacking literature that Saad was referring to. There are a bunch of websites on that, but I know that, you know, Saad's kind of the utmost professional. I would start with him if, if you're looking into a, a, any sort of house hacking 101 or where to get started. But th there are, there are tools, there are tricks and being, or working with a real estate agent who's dialed into the markets the way that you are, I think honestly is a good, good first step. Right, 100%. Now, um, a couple other things I want to ask you about. Uh, Interest-only loans, are they advisable? Advisable? Uh, that's a loaded word for the right clients, <laughs> I guess. But uh, yeah, you know, they, they're, they, they, they became fairly popular as the rates really shot up last year, right? We, we, we pretty much doubled rates in the course of 12 months. Right. And, and we, we, right. we saw a lot more questions about interest-only mortgages where... Um, you know, they, they might have lower introductory rates and stuff like that. They keep that monthly payment nice and low. Um, and you just hope that you're, you're building principal through natural appreciation in the market. So if it's someone who's an experienced real estate investor and they're buying in a strong market that we don't think we'll see any like negative appreciation or anything like that, then yeah, you know, go, go for it. You know what you're doing. You understand the risks and you can also refinance in and out of them pretty easily. Where if things got a little sticky or you noticed that you really weren't building any equity in the home over the first year or two, then you can always jump into a fully amortized mortgage where you're paying some principal as well. So for, for the right buyers, yes, I think if you're experienced enough to understand the risks and exactly what you're getting into, then yeah, by all means, go for it. First time home buyer, new to the, new to the market, new to the game, we're probably not putting them in yeah. interest only mortgages. Right. So what about adjustable rates? Adjustable rates, very popular right now, right? Um, especially in this area too. I know I keep saying that, but, uh, but we, we, a lot of the business that we do is kind of in the city or on the immediate outskirts where uh, we're, we're, we're transacting with a lot of condos. And with condominiums in general, people really don't plan to stay there for long. And that's always the first question that I ask a client is, okay, what are you looking to buy? And how long do you think you'll be there? Because that'll help determine the, the entire mortgage structure, as far as I'm mm. concerned. Um, if someone says, hey, I'm looking for a starter home, I don't see myself being there longer than five, five years, I'll try to build some equity, then sell it. Then we're looking at an adjustable all day because they won't, you do a five-year adjustable, the rate is fixed for five years. They won't even get to the point right. where it would adjust. They don't have to worry about any market fluctuation uh, come year six, seven, eight. 
Right, right. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of give us, you know, just to give an example, like I have an adjustable rate on my primary residence. Uh, you know, uh, if it wasn't for the adjustable rate, there's no way I was going to be purchasing the property I, I, I live in right now. But uh, it can be great for the right situation, right? But it's important to kind of like keep tabs on the market, keep tabs on rates. So eventually you're going to want to refinance out, right? And that's the whole point of it. Uh, but if you're astute and you can plan ahead and, and you kind of like have a pulse on the market, you have the right people helping you, right professionals around you, then uh, it can be a great tool. But certainly, just like with everything else, not every tactic, not every strategy is for everyone. Exactly. So, and and so make sure make sure you know what you're getting yourself. And and just to kind of piggyback on that side, I, I think that you see a lot of industry professionals take out adjustable rate mortgages. And that is because we have our finger on the pulse literally every single day with what's happening with interest rates. If you're a home buyer who's just looking to get in with a comfortable monthly payment, kind of set it and forget it and get on with your life and not have to worry about keeping an eye on interest rates. Um, then you know, a 30-year fix, a 15-year fixed lo rate loan, th that might be a better fit. But again, we're talking interest rates, what, every every 12 hours at least. Right, so um, right. so we know exactly yeah. what's going on in the market and we know when to pounce when those refinance opportunities present themselves. But um, again, if you're not as astute as some of the industry leaders or some people who, who have experience owning and selling homes, then it's, it's safer just to kind of stick with that 30-year fixed. So rapid fire here, what what is the kind of the main thing folks that might be considering jumbo loans what do they need to kind of keep in mind as they evaluate their options? Is there something that they can do to kind of stay creative or just something that could be like a, like a aha gotcha type of, type of uh, moment that they need to always keep back? Yeah. So, so jumbo loans, right? We're looking at um, higher, higher minimum down payments. You're, you're typically looking at at least 10% down for a jumbo mortgage. That That's one of the larger um, pieces. You're also looking at higher minimum credit scores. So a, a lot of the jumbo loan providers, they want to see you over a 700, over a mm -hmm. 720 FICO rather than, you know, those 620, 680 numbers I was talking about earlier. And then debt to income ratio in terms of how comfortable that monthly payment is uh, from through the through the lens of the lender. We're, we're keeping that debt to income ratio usually around 43% to 45% maximum, where a non-jumbo loan, you can get up to like 50 to 55%. Um, but yeah, well, once you get into jumbo territory, it's a different animal. They're larger loans. And, and we just want to make sure that if someone loses their job three months after they purchase this large home, that, you know, they, they still are financially disciplined enough to swing a few more payments. Awesome. Now, one, another quick thing. How can someone get creative with appraisals? Like, like one thing that's really, that always comes up in almost every offer, right? A, a, a one that's not a cash, a cash offer, um, is what do buyers want to do with their appraisal? So, so how in your world, like how do people get creative with their, with the appraisal link? So this, this is, this is like the perfect tie-in right here for me and you combined, right? So, um, this is, this is something that we strategize almost on a weekly basis over, and it, it really comes down to understanding the market, right? Understanding what's sold in that neighborhood recently, understanding what the appraisal will likely come in at or within the range of. Um, when we go back to the upfront underwriting and waiving mortgage contingencies, right? When you, when you just waive your entire mortgage contingency, what you're telling the seller is that if the appraisal comes in low, you will foot the difference. You will make up the difference of that appraisal or you will restructure your mortgage 
so that you can apply some of the money that you're planning on using for a down payment towards making up an appraisal gap. What we look to do in those situations when we're not that comfortable and maybe the client doesn't have those deep of pockets is we may put it in the offer subject to the home appraising at least at this number, right? So let's say it's a $500,000 home and the, the, uh, the, the client has an extra $25,000 to play with. If the appraisal comes in low, then we're usually putting, you know, subject to appraising at $475,000 or higher. We don't want just some bottomless pit that we're leaving our client open to falling into with a, with a with an appraisal shortage. Right, and then I will say to everybody that's listening, like the appraisal gap language is absolutely critical. Uh, I I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to a client who he was working with another realtor group previously, and their realtor was not talking to them about appraisal contingency language. Not only is it a major risk to not not factor that into your offer, but also it can be a if you, especially given your situation if your situation allows for you to take that risk and then it can put you in a position to win a house uh, that uh, yeah that you initially thought you had no chance at uh, so you can take a little bit depending on your cash position of course uh, and depending on the comps and things like that you can get really creative with what you what you do with your appraisal appraisal gap uh, as and there's, uh, there, there is now, always restructuring the mortgage too, right? So if someone was planning on putting 20% yeah, right. down, the appraisal comes in 5% low, they can actually go down to a 15% down payment, use that 5% to make up the appraisal gap if they really want the home. And as long as they're still comfortable with that monthly payment at 15% down, then so be it. They move forward. I had a client do exactly that in West Roxbury uh, summer of last year. So yeah, so just those are important things to keep in mind. So yeah, just to uh, just as we're wrapping up, before we kind of uh, you know close things out, I wanted to quickly share a story. Uh, Hunter and I have been working together to to help me purchase an investment property uh, in Texas. It so happens, but and I haven't been shy about my journey to expand my portfolio and and, and get the help, get the right help doing so. Uh, but understanding the numbers has been super critical. That's something that Hunter has been instrumental in to determine if an investment property makes sense. Uh, currently, I'm exploring, as I mentioned, in Texas, we all know interest rates are high right now. I mean, they're even higher uh, for investment properties than they are for primary residences. Uh, so I'm exploring different loan products that may or may not make sense. But the biggest change I'm making in this situation is uh, determining whether or not it makes sense to have a partner uh, jump in with me. Right. And the reason that that's super critical in this case is, as I mentioned, interest rates are higher. Now I can, uh, I can split the risk with somebody else. Right. I don't have to kind of take the higher, higher interest rate going into an investment property in a completely different state all on my own. So having a partner, uh, that, you know, kind of like is aligned with me is super important. Uh, but also we can go bigger, right? We don't, I don't have to go for a duplex, uh, or a triplex. I could potentially do not maybe a fourplex or two fourplexes, hopefully in the next you know six months or a year, because again I have that partner to help me and share the risk with. Um, so a little plug here too for uh, for for Hunter and CMG, they've been fantastic. Uh, to given I've been actively shopping and talking a lot with Hunter about this. His firm has some great investment property rates. 
Um, so, uh, Hunter, feel free to kind of chime in a little bit on what you guys bring to the table to help investors get creative once again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're, we're actually running a promotion right now. There is no expire date on it. So uh, as of right now, we're actually running a promo when it comes to second home interest rates and investment property interest rates. Where, you know, just generally speaking, obviously we, we fine tune in every scenario, but we're, we're anywhere from like a half to three quarters of a point below the going interest rates with, with any other lender right now is what I'm noticing just, just from the competition out there. So yeah, it's been obviously great sending you those numbers when I know that I have that, uh, that, that ace up the sleeves currently. But um, yeah, no, it's just even in terms of uh, the zoning and the different buildings that we've been looking at and stuff like that, having having upfront access to our underwriters to send different scenarios right to them and get an answer within, an, what, an hour or two for Saad here as, as he's looking around in different communities for, for investment purposes. So um, no, it's, it, it's been great. That's, that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on here is how communicative we are. And, and our ability to jump in pretty quickly and just run numbers for people. You can use the Zillow online calculators and all these mortgage calculators, but um, they're, they're not specific to your scenario. They're not considering your exact credit score or stuff like that. And in most cases, they're, they're, they're very conservative, which is a good thing in a way because, you know, they're, they're, the clients aren't surprised when they come and actually meet with the lender. But it's a bad thing in the way that it can scare them away from buying these investment properties because they think their monthly payment is too high. So it, it, it's always, it's always smart just to, you know, get in touch with a lender, a professional in the business and, and bounce these actual payment scenarios off of them. So you know exactly what you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, especially with how volatile rates have been recently. Yeah. And I will, I will say too, like my, my, the partner I'm working with, uh, it's his first time going into investment properties. He's been floored by the numbers that that Hunter has sh sent over and the experience that he's had. So I can vouch for I can vouch for not only myself, but I can I like I can repeat that. <laughs> uh, so please, keep I can going. vouch. Please keep going. <laughs> I can vouch directly, both for myself and for my partner, that what Hunter brings to the table uh, is top notch. So, uh, so definitely reach out to him if you have any lending questions. To wrap things up, that's a perfect lead-in. Folks, there's a few things to remember here. Uh, understand your options based on your situation. No two situations are exactly the same. Talking to your uncle who bought 20 years ago or your best friend who makes significantly more or less money than you or a colleague who lives in another state, it's not the same, right? So, so understand your situation what your numbers are, um, because that's the second point. Because if you don't know what the monthly payment, the taxes, the insurance, the max budget, the max down payment, how timing factors into the equation for you, all of that and more, if you're an investor, right? Even if you're an investor, you need even more numbers, um, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Uh, you put it, you're setting yourself up to uh, uh, maybe not fail, but to not have as the type, the type of success that you probably could if you did follow those instructions. Um, the last point, work with a solid lender. You need an intro, ask me and I can connect you with some great guys, including Hunter here. It's super, super important. Um, and that actually is going to be a lead in to uh, you know, another episode <laughs> about building out your real estate team. So keep that in mind um, you know, as you start your investment journey or as you start your home purchase journey, just your overall real estate journey, it's really important to have a solid lender behind. Hunter, thanks for jumping on with me today. Really awesome to have you here.
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I, I can't stress it enough. Um, you know, Saad, Sam, the whole Tory team, consummate professionals, you're in great hands working with them. If, if you're looking at this podcast, you're in the right place. Um, and, you know, they've, they've been helpful to, to me personally. They've been helpful to many clients that we've worked with over the years, and I, I cannot recommend them highly enough. I appreciate you, man. And to everyone else, thanks for joining us on Story Chime. I'm Saad Munir. Until next time.